Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 553 of the Juicebox Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking with Drew. She has a newly minted CDCES at the end of her name. She's a mom of three and the mother of a child with type 1 diabetes. You're going to enjoy our conversation. If you don't, full money back guarantee. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. I'm way ahead of the music here. Oh, geez. Way ahead. I need to fill this time. Um, uh, hey, uh, take the survey for the T1D exchange, please. If you're a U.S. citizen or a U.S. citizen who is the caregiver of a child with type 1. Anyway, if you have type 1 diabetes and you're from America, t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Fill out the survey, help people living with type 1 diabetes and support the podcast. That's it. I'm going to tell you about the advertisers here in a second, and then we're going to get right to Drew. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. Head over to Dexcom.com forward slash juice box to learn more or to get started today. The podcast is also sponsored by Omnipod, makers of the Omnipod Dash. You may be eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash. Go over and find out at Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Hi, everyone. My name is Drew. I'm married. I have three boys. It's my oldest son. That is my um, type one. I work as a nurse practitioner in a busy maternal fetal medicine clinic, and I'm um, newly certified as a CDE or now known as a CDCES, a certified diabetes care and education specialist. Wow. I don't understand why they make things more difficult, but that's interesting enough. Uh, <laughs> I mean, honestly, what did you just say? A CDCES? Yes, that's now the term instead of CDE. CDE is now the old lingo, but I still use it because I like simplicity as well. Yeah. I told Jenny that one day and she's like, I'm a CDE. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you. Um, I, so, okay. So I, uh, before we started recording, I, I told you that I had the worst time trying to find our correspondence and didn't do well finding it. But as you're saying what you're saying, it's coming back to me. So let's start with reminding the host why you came on the show. Yes. So on your Facebook site, you had asked for people to message you if they were working on getting their CDE or had just obtained it. I remember. And wanted someone on the show. And so my husband is the one that emailed posing as me saying, yes, I'll come on. I'm a new CDE. So that's why I'm here. Drew, how many people do you think I'm corresponding with who aren't really who they say they are? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if they're like my husband. Was he, knows? Was he just like... Did he say to himself, Drew will definitely want to do this. I'll just send this out there. Or was he trying to prod you into doing it? 
No, he said to himself, oh, she definitely needs to do this. I'm going to sign her up. She'll do it. And I don't like public speaking or speaking in groups. So he probably knew I wouldn't do it on my own, but with a nudge and backed in a corner, I would. (laughs) So here I am. Well, I love that. Uh, I love that you're here. I'm not certain how I feel about your husband's manipulation. And, um, (laughs) but I, but at at the moment, you're just talking to one person. So you're doing really well. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. It's like we're on the phone. You and I are girlfriends. And now we're going to talk about what it was like to, to do everything. So let's get a little background first. So you're a D mom. How long have you been? Um, How old was your oldest son when he was diagnosed? He was diagnosed two years ago at 11 and now he's 13. Okay. And two years ago when he was 11, what did you do for a living? I was a nurse practitioner. I um, have always worked in OB-GYN clinics, but at that time, two years ago, I was in an anesthesia pre-op clinic. So I was still touching diabetics, um, not as in as big a way as I do now, but if people would come in for surgery, I would tell them what to do with their devices or what they needed to do to change their insulin to be ready for surgery day. Okay. So that's what I was doing when my son was diagnosed. Gotcha. Um, not to get too far off the topic real quickly, but as you're talking, I'm realizing besides Drew Barrymore, I don't think I know another woman named Drew, except for you now. Is it? A, okay, good. You, no, I feel special. Yeah, well, yeah. Is there? Is it a name that I'm just, I don't recognize as... Like, are there like a lot of famous Drews that I would know and I just don't know or not really? Um, I have never met another girl named Drew. So I always say, my name's Drew, like Drew Barrymore. And everyone wants me to say, is that short for, for Drusilla or another name? Which Drusilla sounds horrible. So is, thankfully it's not. Is Drusilla a name? Um, yeah, that's a name. <laughs> but it's not mine. So we're good. Well, I don't want to come down on any Drusillas, but that makes me think of Godzilla, just in case you're uh, looking for an insight into my mind there. Uh, yeah, Drew's not a... So was it... Is it like one of those like Arden's an androgynous name? Like there are only... the When we named Arden, we looked on the registry for the United States. There were only nine, slightly over 9,000 people named Arden in the US. And well over half of them were men. So I feel like Drew might be a similar name like that. I like unique names. I do too. I do too. Okay. I'm a, I'm a fan. Okay. So you and I are going to get along swimmingly. Um, so your, your, your son's diagnosed. Can you tell me a little bit about the diagnosis and how it went? Yes. Uh, this is one of my like biggest regrets that I'm feel like I'm still trying to heal over. Okay. Because um, leading up to his diagnosis, he's 11, he's independent. I'm not watching him get his own water or go to the bathroom, right? Um, His complaints are abdominal pain. That's all he could say. My stomach hurts, my stomach hurts. And I was watching him lose weight, but he was also active. So I felt like I was brushing that off, looking back too easily, brushing that off. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it got bad quick, right? As he's going into DKA, it was the week of Christmas and there were lots of activities at school and he was so excited for them. 
And one morning before school, he comes to me crying and, and he hadn't cried before over his stomach. And he's like, my stomach's really bad today. And he's crying. And I hugged him and I felt like I was hugging a skeleton. And I, my son's name is Ethan. I said, Ethan, you're so skinny. What's happening? And I had him get on my scale before I had even realized it. He lost 20 pounds. Oh my gosh which is crazy. He went from 86 to 66 pounds. Hmm. And he said, but I'm okay. I really want to go to school because there's activities at school for Christmas week and holiday week. And so stupid me, let him go to school. I went to work. I called his doctor right away. And he said, oh yeah, get him into me. And I said, great. So my husband is the one that picked him up from school and took him to the doctor because I'm at work. And the doctor didn't know what it was. And I wasn't using my brain either, I guess. And did labs and said, okay, these labs will come back tomorrow. They're overnight. And so I get home from work that day and I just of course, feel sick about it. Like he's going into DK. He's very sick, right? Mm. He, I, so I keep asking my husband over and over, what did the doctor say? And my husband just kept repeating. He doesn't know. We got to wait for the labs tomorrow. We've got to wait till tomorrow. I'm like, okay. And I just remember I didn't sleep. I stared at him all night. We sent him to bed and I was like, wait, I don't feel good about that. So I made him sleep with me. My 11 year old son slept with me. Mm. And I watched him go to the bathroom seven times that night. And I was like, what in the world? And I knew right then I was like, he has diabetes. Wow. I, I have to and, tell you, as I'm getting older, <laughs> I've got to be losing testosterone because you almost made me cry twice while you were saying that. And I've heard these stories so many times. I thought I was immune to it. Um, my God, you! I'm sorry. That's terrible. Um, yeah. Hugging a skeleton was like, the worst thing ever. Know. It was just the me, number that got me. You told me how much he lost and my <laughs> eyes filled up and I was like, am I going to cry? Like we've only been doing this for nine minutes and Drew's got a boy's name. I should be okay. Uh, but I wasn't. <laughs> it's not a boy's name, Drew. You know Horrible. what I'm saying. Yeah, no, you're going to make me cry. Is this going to happen again during this hour? Be careful. I okay? hope not. I hope it's happy from here on out. <laughs> okay. So, oh my gosh. In the morning. I'm but flush. Go ahead. Go ahead. You, so you made it overnight or did you just like take him right then and there? No, so still stupid me. I, I, we wait until the morning and essentially we take him in the morning. And of course, he has type one. And I remember getting there and like watching him come to life with just IV fluids, right? Because mm -hmm. he's so massively dehydrated and then keep coming to life with insulin. But I remember the doctors coming because, you know, in my brain, I've already figured it out. I figured it out last night watching him pee a million times. Yeah. The doctors come in and they're like, you know, I'm sorry. This is what's going on. He has type one. And I remember smiling and saying, like, thank God, like. There's I'm familiar with this disease mm -hmm. and I know he can live with it and thrive with it still. And he's going to make it like he doesn't have cancer in a death sentence is where I was in that moment. So, yeah, 
I was thrilled. And they're like looking at me like, do you really understand what we're saying? And I'm like, I do. I do. And I'm thank you. Yeah. No kidding. (laughs) Well, I guess good that you knew. Right. Like because to to be this is going to sound strange. I guess it's good that you knew to be grateful that it could have been other things. Um, you know, cause that does give you some instant perspective that, uh, that some people might lack, uh, in, in that moment. Um, okay. So I'm going to, I want to say first, and I'm certainly not in charge of making you feel better, but you know, these things, they happen so gradually that even people who understand what's happening don't see it. And, you know, you, you have to really think back to when, you know, a friend or yourself has lost 10 pounds and they come up to you and they're like, hey, and they're kind of standing in front of you like waiting for you to say, wow, you look great, you, you, you know, um, and nobody ever notices and nobody ever notices when you live with somebody. They don't notice if you gain weight. They don't notice if you lose weight. They, you know, I've had, um, you know, I had trouble with iron that that made me, you know, just my personality completely changed and the people around me could finally see it, but it had to get pretty obvious first. And I couldn't tell while it was happening. It's that, it's that incremental change. Like when it happens quickly, you're like, Oh, I just broke my arm. This is obvious. But the rest of the stuff, just your body does such a good job of trying to keep you alive while it's slipping away from its, whatever its balance point is. That, that it is just, so true. You know, it's just really difficult to see. So I hope you don't torture yourself much longer over this. Um, or Although, is the torture, did it make you want to help other people with diabetes? Like, how did you, at what point in this process do you say to yourself, I'm going to go back to school, get more education, become a CDE that is now a CDE and a couple of other letters? Uh, absolutely. My son played a big part in that. and. I ended up transferring to another department a month after he was diagnosed, which is where I am right now in maternal fetal medicine. So we do very high risk pregnancies. Everybody's coming in with a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And because it's so high risk, at least half of my population has some form of diabetes. So Yes, that with work and my son, I knew I needed to have, I I couldn't get enough education. I wanted more education to be able to take care of everyone better. Wow. Are you just a caregiver at heart? Have you always sort of felt like that? Yes, I knew from a very young age that I wanted to go into nursing. So it's a good fit. Yeah. Even personally, though, like, do you find yourself, are you consumed with making sure everybody's okay, not just health wise, but I have that. It's a burden sometimes like somebody looks unhappy or, um, you know, they're having an issue and it feels like my issue then I'm pretty sure I'm going to die soon from the stress. But, um, but I don't know if that, (laughs) I'm not sure if that, do you feel like that? Like somebody has a problem at school and now that's in the back of your head and someone else has a problem with a friend and that's in the back of your head and you kind of just, you're keeping track of everyone's level of, I don't know, contentment? Yes, I do have that caregiver role and and burden sometimes. Yes. It sucks. I mean, it's nice for them, but they don't appreciate it. That's the part that sucks worse. (laughs) Like at least, (laughs) at least, at least if you do it, you like, you think once in a while someone might look up and go, Hey, thank you. 
But that does never, almost ever happen. (laughs) And not that I'm doing it for somebody to say thank you to me, but it would make it easier if I thought someone was noticing it. But I guess that's sort of the job, right? Is the, you just sort of quietly nudging people in the right direction and saying things that make them kind of pay attention to the stuff you think like, oh, like, look over here. This is important too. Um, Maybe that is just the job. And then you get to sit around the rest of your life when you're really old and be bitter or happy. I guess. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're going to pick one. Like, I'm going for happy. I'm going for look how well everyone's doing. I had a hand in this. That makes me happy. But I've yeah. met a couple of ladies, and I have to throw myself in this because I'm basically a mom, um, that, you know, they just, they're like, ah. they, they spend their older years just like, now I'm by myself, and that kid's got the fruits of all my labor. I'm trying not to be that person. I don't think I am, but I've seen it happen. Okay, so you're a lovely person who's trying to help people. Thank now, you. The, no. You're 100% welcome. You're on the show because a lot of people contacted me and said that they wanted to know what the pathway was like to becoming a CDE, and I didn't really know. And you are uniquely qualified to uh, take us through that journey, A, because you've done it, but more maybe because you've done it more recently, too. So at that moment, you're a a nurse practitioner, and you you decide, I want to be a CDE, because back then you thought that's what they were called. And... um, what did you do next? Like, what are the steps you had to take? So I looked at the website to see if I was qualified and it did show that it's somewhat easier to get qualified if you're already a nurse or a dietitian. That's usually the easiest pathway. There's other qualifiers. There's even a unique qualifiers pathway, which I don't really know anything about, but but me being a nurse already made it very easy. Okay. So, especially with having diabetes experience. So your your initial education and work life made you a good candidate. And what and what was your initial like what did you do? Like what did you go to college for and how did you pull your career together? I have my bachelor's degree in nursing and then I also got my master's degree. So that's how I'm a nurse practitioner. Okay. Um, the qualifications, if I'm remembering correctly, we're having a, a bachelor's degree and then being a nurse or a dietitian or a list of other things. But those, those two are the most common. And then you also, it's not simply having that. You also have to prove that you've been involved in diabetes education and then also have continuing education in diabetes. Okay. And so, all right. So if I'm coming out of like high school and I'm going to college and I want to do this, become a dietitian is one way. And, and then after that, get involved in diabetes care and, yes. be, and be very involved in it. Don't just like blow past somebody with diabetes one time and go, hey, you have diabetes. I've touched you. That's not enough. Like you have to be involved in diabetes care. And then you right. need to get into a program to become a CDE. Um, and how long are those programs? So I took a nine-week class to prep me for the CDE exam. So that's the only thing I lacked in order to qualify to take the exam Oh, okay. because I had the, the 
bachelor's degree. I had the diabetes education. So it was a a nine week class, which I did welcome because I had experience on type one. I had experience in gestational diabetes, but I really lacked a lot of the type two. So I felt like I needed that to really be able to pass this exam. Mm -hmm. So it was a valuable and eye opening class okay so yeah I, and i'm googling so it looks like there's something called uh well there's diabetes educator.org there's cbdce.org um there's a couple things that pop up when you google cde exam um and the practice tests and so yeah you so you took a nine week so you you basically for for a cd you had an you had an mcat coming up and you you took a crash course yeah. a nine week course to take that test Correct. Wow. Yes. And that was really valuable for you. It was valuable in helping me with the type two stuff that I was lacking, but the the other value piece in it was being able to participate with other classmates in discussion posts every week and seeing the absurd things they posted <laughs> about like type one and just the misunderstandings that you and I are already familiar with. Let me ask you a question. And I'm not looking for smoke to be blown anywhere. I I genuinely want to use this as a measuring stick. I barely got through high school. I have no uh, college to speak of. Um, If I took the CDE, (laughs) CDE, what are they calling it now? (laughs) CDEES, right? If I took the CDE, what the fuck? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm so confused. laughs> if I took the damn test, obviously I'm how would I do on it? Do you think? You listen to the podcast. How would I make out? I think you would do well. Like pass it? Maybe. Really? <laughs> Keep in mind I can't remember what they call it anymore. And you've told me five times. So it's possible I have the recollection of a gnat (laughs) but i mean like is it is it basically like stuff that you learn taking care of someone with diabetes or having it and then there's that extra level of nursing stuff that i would obviously not know anything about i don't think but is that the mix or is it more just like diabetes related facts you know a lot and if you're a good test taker, you would probably pass just using simple deduction. Hmm. But it's it's insulin, right? What we already know, it's nutrition and counting carbs and exercise and behavior techniques. And there's type two stuff in there, like the oral medications that I really had to brush up on. Gotcha. I want to be clear. I have no intention of becoming a nurse, a dietitian, or a CDC and a couple of extra letters. That's not going to happen. Um, but I, I just was wondering, like, the level of what was in the test. Like, I'm not obviously asking you to tell everybody what's in the test. But I was just curious that if it's something that's, like, super technical that even, like, a person like me would just get in there and be like, I don't know any of this. Or if it is more nuts and bolts stuff about diabetes, and you answered that question, so thank you very much. Um, so now, okay, so you take the test, you pass, which congratulations, and then what's next? You have to find a job. No, I stayed in my role, so I'm still in the same role. I'm still functioning 
as a nurse practitioner in my maternal fetal medicine clinic. Because our clinic is so high risk, we have different champions in our clinic. So some specialize in cancer related to pregnancy, some in blood disorders. Um, We also have a diabetes champion. So there was also already a physician that was considered a diabetes champion. So I've kind of come on board as a a diabetes champion in my clinic. Hmm. Okay. And, and now that gives you time with people with diabetes too. So now you're touching more people with diabetes. Do you have to build up hours then? Or do you just have to keep a certain number of hours like every year? How does that all work? To maintain my certification? Yes. I have to continue to touch diabetes, like providing education, and I have to continue to get continuing education hours. So with at least half of my patients having diabetes, I'm, I'm easily getting that requirement. Okay. And it's, um, not, this is going to sound crazy, but you can't get like bonus points for having a kid with type one, right? (laughs) Sometimes I use that to my advantage. (laughs) I feel like more of an expert when I live with it day and night. I would think that you would, be more immersed at home, but I don't know. But I, I, it's just the way I imagined when you run into people in a work environment, you're seeing them for how long, right? A few minutes, half hour, if you're lucky. And 20 minutes max. About usually. 20 minutes. Okay. Do you, so what's the, um, so knowing what it's like at home and knowing what it's like in a work environment, What's lacking in the work environment? Like, where could that be improved for people? I know that's not a question you might have been ready for. I feel like overall, I work in an educational institution, so I work with very smart people, but even the smart people I work with don't understand the full scope of type one because it's so big. And like we all talk about, unless you're an endocrinologist, you get one paragraph on type one diabetes in school. Right. Um, so I can come home every day and tell my husband, can you believe this happened? Can you believe that happened? I can complain about at least one thing every day. Hmm. And even in saying that, I still think I work in a pretty good place. Um, so I take those little instances of, oh my gosh, I can't believe this happened. And I'm trying to make change in my work environment, like providing more education to the staff, to the patients, to the community, to just improve care and improve awareness. Yeah, I would think, um, may I, I, I'm sorry, I would think that um, the the issue would be that even if you, even if you do that, if you just find better and better ways of helping people, it still happens in a room with the door closed and nobody else sees it. So the only thing that's going to happen is you become the popular CDE because people, it gets around that, you know, it goes well with you, but, but the people you work with don't get to know why. And, that's, I don't know. Like I realize that you can't, 
it just feels well, fr- frustrating. I don't know if I'm misunderstanding, but I just, yeah, you know what I mean? Like if you do great, that's amazing. You do great with the people who you are with, but that, that message doesn't expand for some reason. I'm trying to work on that expansion. Mm-hmm. So for example, this month I am giving a lecture to my fellow nurse practitioners that I work with on something simple like CGM. I'm doing CGM. And so I'm trying to get them more comfortable with it, with reading it, with understanding it, so they can be more comfortable with then recommending it, reading it, giving recommendations, having discussions with patients. So I'm trying to to broaden my knowledge. I'm trying to give it to other people. Yeah, well, that's lovely. Um, I just, you know, the other day I had to run out to pick something up and I got a message from a person through social media, a person I didn't know. They asked me a question and I found myself thinking, I have a 10 minute ride home. I can talk to this person for nine minutes, right? So I get on the Mm -hmm. phone. I ask a couple of quick questions. We have a nice chat. At the end of the chat, the person says to me, this is the most comfortable I've been talking to anybody about type one diabetes since my kid's been diagnosed. Um, And they were talking about their doctors. Like, and I just got off the phone. Like I was grateful that he felt good about it. And I'm hopeful that I said something that might be valuable to him. But as I got off the phone, I think, how can that be true? Like how can a 10 minute conversation with a person leave you for the first time feeling good? Cause I didn't tell him that much. I explained a couple of simple ideas and some things to look for, and it kind of gave him a pat on the butt, and I was like, you know, go get him, that kind of thing. Like, how is it possible like a physician can't do that? Is it just that they don't live with it, and therefore there's some aspect of it that's lost still? It's too clinical? I agree with that. It, It is really clinical to them. It, even the thought of more than just food impacts blood sugar is lost to the majority of providers. Really? Uh, yes. Well, that's terrible. I, I just, I, 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 I just, I get too many notes from people who are like, you know, we got diagnosed and my CD told me to listen to the podcast. And I'm like, imagine if I was a mechanic. Okay. And I made my living being a mechanic and you came into me and you're like, Hey, my car doesn't run right. And I said to you, yeah, I could fix that for you. But instead, why don't you go listen to this podcast? It'll explain it. That's not even a good idea personally for the doctors. Like, why Why would the doctor not want to be the, the center of where you get great information from? Like, why would they want to farm it out to somebody? Like, try to imagine being a doctor and the best option you have for a person is to tell them to go to another source other than you. But you should be the source. And and how that doesn't make you as the physician go, Oh hell, I should stop sending them to listen to the podcast. Maybe I should listen to it. Like, well, I don't know why that doesn't happen. That is just seems counterintuitive just on a professional level to me. Um, like diabetes aside of it. Like I would want to make myself the kind of mechanic where you were like, you know what? I could probably figure this out on my own, but I'd rather go to Scott. He's the best mechanic I've ever heard in my life. Like I don't even, I can't, do you understand what I'm saying? And do you have any insight on why that would be? Um, I, I appreciate having several different lenses and my provider lens is 
we have so little time to spend with patients. So why not give these tools for your tool belt that you can go home and do and spend as much time on as you want to? Okay. I don't, I don't not understand that. I do. I've just been able to, I don't know, like it's, it doesn't take that long to explain it to most people is the thing that throws me off. Like I think in a 20 minute, I believe that in 20 minutes, if you came into a room and 20 minutes later, I could let you leave with enough information where you'd feel a little emboldened and you could kind of safely make some changes for yourself and find a better place. Um, but, but that's the truth is, is that, 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 that doesn't exist is overtly why the podcast has the popularity that it has. Like if that existed for most people, I'd be talking to myself because no one would need this. They wouldn't come here. And I don't know that like, I, I'm not trying to put myself out of business, but I guess I kind of am like I would write. I'd rather see people feel well and confident and actually be healthy than to be lost so much so that they're looking for. I mean, really think about what we're saying, Drew, a podcast like, like imagine a health scenario where you're like, well, let me go hunt down a stranger who has access to the Internet and a microphone. Like that's a it's a pretty big drop, don't you think? <laughs> or or at least it should be, but apparently it's an elevation and even that's weird. And for the providers listening and at this point there are a lot of providers listening to this podcast. I know because I can because of how much correspondence I get from people who are like, "Hey, my doctor told me to listen to this." They listen to it. Or the notes that, you know, I just got one the other day that said uh the doctor kind of like looked at me and said, uh, you, um, listen to anything to help you with this? Like, it was like that. And the the person goes, yeah, maybe podcast. And the guy goes juice box. And the, and the patient says, yeah. And the doctor goes, I listen to, <laughs> I mean, what are we doing? Like, you know, like at some point, like let's stall, like stop pretending and just get in on it. Like if you're a provider and you're listening to this, tell people this stuff. Don't send them, well, all right, let me stop myself. Send them back to me still. I need the downloads. But, like, you could be telling them, too. And, you know, and a lot more people than I could reach. So I don't know. It, the whole thing's very frustrating to me. And I don't want to get you in trouble with where you work because it sounds like you work at a great place. But those ref- frustrations kind of exist everywhere, no matter the level of quality institution that you reach, it seems like. Unless you get that special endo or that special cd who has it and knows how to talk about it true this is disappointing i don't know you told me you weren't i have all the same frustration (laughs) you told me you weren't going to make me sad anymore (laughs) (laughs) well i'm trying to make a difference where i live okay so so let's do that for people then what do you think the answer is on the patient side, do they need to come in armed with the correct questions or do you think they really do need to go find other tools and the doctor is a place where they check your blood work and write you prescriptions? Hey guys, I'm here today to tell you about the Omnipod promise and about the Omnipod dash and it's pretty good news for you, either way you look at it. First of all, you may be eligible for a free 30-day trial of the Omnipod Dash. 
All you have to do is go to omnipod.com forward slash juice box to find out. And if you're eligible, you're using an insulin pump for free for one month. That in itself would be enough, right? We could call that a great ad and be done with it. Except the Omnipod promise applies to, well, some pretty big stuff that's coming. What do I mean? Well, with the Omnipod promise, you can upgrade to Omnipod's latest technologies for no additional cost as soon as they're available to you and covered by insurance. Of course, terms and conditions apply, but that's Omnipod's promise. You want to get a dash today and maybe they come out with something you want, you know, later on next month or, you know, a little while later, you can upgrade. No trouble. They promise. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Don't wait around for the next big thing. Get going right now. You can take care of your health and leave your options open. Omnipod.com forward slash juice box. Today, the show is also sponsored by the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor. And I'm going to take a moment to tell you a little bit about it and leave it up to you as to whether or not you want to find out more. My daughter's wearing a Dexcom right now. Right now. Earlier today, she had pancakes for lunch. Didn't get quite enough of a pre-bolus. Drove her blood sugar up. We had to make a pretty you know, aggressive correction to get it back down again. And we knew that later in the day, that might mean a lower blood sugar. And it did, but it didn't come up out of nowhere and scare us or, you know, take us by surprise because the Dexcom let us know when she reached a certain point. How does it do that? Well, it's telling you your blood sugar in real time, constantly. And we have alarms set at different thresholds. So when Arden starts falling at a certain speed. If she reaches a certain level, it lets us know. And then we're able to act sooner. Actually, that's how we figured out we messed up the pancakes and we were able to get in there and be kind of aggressive too. You'll find your own way to use the Dexcom, but the way we use it helps every day, every meal, every decision, because we can see the speed and direction of my daughter's blood sugar. Speed and direction, right here on my iPhone, right now. We went from that pancake debacle to the fix, right into a slice of pizza and a salad. And Arden's blood sugar is 72 and steady right now. And I just pulled my phone out and checked that. Uh, Apple, uh, iPhone, uh, and you can do that on an iPhone or an Android. You got to look into it. It's amazing. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. There are links in the show notes of your podcast player or at juiceboxpodcast.com that you can follow if you can't remember, dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. And while I'm saying these linky loos, let me just tell you one more time, omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. And why not remind you, t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. Here comes Drew. She's going to answer that question and a lot more. And I don't mean that in a bad way, actually. I know that might sound like I do, but I don't. Like, I can it be all the above? It can. Um, yeah. I feel like 
you can make diabetes simple, right? Give them the basic tools, but it can also really be vast. There's a lot of it. And I feel like diabetes humbles me every day because I'm learning something new. Mm. Like there, there's so much and it has so many legs and arms. Um, so I, I think both like for the basics at the very least, those questions and needs should hopefully be fulfilled by the provider. But there's also great tools like your podcast where you go into so many different things. And I love even beyond um, the, the treatment and management that you and Jenny cover, just speaking with individual people and hearing the different perspectives because even that is valuable too yeah and that's obviously something you can't get from a provider that i think is a big piece of this and i'm not coming down on people like i just it is it's obviously the way it is and i'm trying to figure out if it just has to be this way and outside tools are just an obvious need or if there's a way that a provider can be more Like, let me use an example from a conversation I had recently that was private, right? I'll just keep everyone's details out of it. How can a provider of type 1 diabetes care look at a Dexcom graph and see that every night around 11 o'clock, there's a high blood sugar that results in a low blood sugar at 1 1 a.m. and come to the conclusion that the answer is to lower the basal rate at 1 a.m.? Like, how could that happen? How could someone not say, well, obviously what we need to do is stop that initial spike so that you don't make a correction so that you're not low later at one? How can they say we're going to let all these problems happen in the past that lead to the spike, that lead to the crash, and the only thing we're going to do about it is put a Band-Aid over the crash site so you don't crash too hard? And then that low basal rate causes another high blood sugar overnight and it just perpetuates and goes on and on. Like, how many times do you have to look at that graph before you think, hmm, that's not the answer? Like, is it is that asking too much of some people? Apparently, because I see that a lot, too. Okay. But that's what I'm hoping to fix. I appreciate that. Are you telling me that it's possible I'm smarter than I think I am? That, that Because I think of myself as a moron. Like, maybe that's the problem. Maybe it's my self-esteem that's making this problem. I'm sorry if people are laughing right now. But, like, honestly, like, I have that thing inside of me. Like, if I can figure this out, I can't imagine who couldn't figure this out. Because it just seems obvious. But maybe it just seems obvious to me and it's not obvious to people. Maybe I need to rethink the way I think about that. Um, because I just don't. I don't know, you know, it it just feels like somebody comes to my house every night, throws matches on my patio, and um, the way I handle it is by having a bucket of water by the front door instead of putting up a fence. It's a weird analogy, but like that's how it seems to me. Like we're constantly trying to medicate the the end result instead of trying to figure out how to not to get to that result, and that to me is. I mean, if you're a physician and you're listening to this and that's what you're telling people, like, please stop doing that because these people live in just abject anxiety their entire lives, just waiting for the next bad thing to come instead of feeling empowered to stop the next bad thing from ever happening. And I I don't know. It makes me upset. Now I'm upset, Drew. And you're so nice. Damn it. Sorry. No, it's (laughs) Jeez. So, all right. So are you seeing it? Are you... 
are you able to make those kind of impacts for people or do you need to find a new job where you can do it or are you able to do it where you're at right now? I'm able to do it where I'm at right now. I feel very supported in my role um, in making an impact. Um, I'm also on committees and hospital wide. So we, we work on educating patients more and even in the community like school nurses. So I'm, I'm in a good role. I I'm very blessed to be where I'm at. So you've brought that up twice now. So institutionally, that is the path to change, correct? Being a thought leader. Yes. Okay. And how does that happen? Like do you, like how do you go to somebody and say, I think I understand this on a deeper level than the institution does. And I want to be the one to talk to people. Do you have to prove it first? And then do people come find you or do you have to go find them? I'm well supported by my bosses and they support evidence-based practice. So I have to use, of course, ADA and GDRF and um, ACOG and, and other governing bodies to see what they say, but um, I, they allow me to make an impact. Are there things you do management-wise with your son that you can't talk about at work? Sometimes, sometimes I bite my tongue. Um, I'm trying to think of a good situation. A lot of times I don't, though. One of the most frequent things I see if somebody is low, like low as in 65, Mm -hmm. we freak out and we give them like 45 carbs or something insane. And every time I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, Oh my gosh, stop giving them a buffet of food. (laughs) See, I see a 65, Drew, and I think that's 15 points from being perfect. Like right. that's well, how I see 65 it. And stable. I'm like, woohoo. Yeah. Even <laughs> so. that, right. You're like, Oh, this isn't bad. I'll just nudge this up a little bit and get back to work. I, well, yeah. obviously that's, we're in agreement about that, but it's, it's how it strikes people. That's the problem. They see it and they can't diagnose it, diagnose it as, look, this is a stable 65. This is not an emergency, but then they treat it like it's an emergency. Like if you were yeah. 65 and your CGM had an arrow down, I'd be all for eating 45 carbs. Because I wouldn't know what to do either in that scenario. But to especially with the technology, to be able to look at it and go, well, this is a very stable blood sugar. I, I mean, the first thing I would do is just I would double check it with a finger stick. And then I'd be like, all right, you know, it really is 65, maybe have four carbs here. Let's see if we can't just turn this into a 75 and stable. Um, but I was just wondering if there was actual rules, I guess is the word I'm just simple word I'm looking for that would stop you from saying something like this, somebody like, is there just like, look, you're 65 feed them. That's what we do here. And, but then why not explain the rest of them, the difference between stable and falling. And I don't get why that, that next sentence, like I find that most problems in life is because we don't talk about what comes next. We don't say, okay, well, this is 65, but it was 65 and falling, so you treat it this way, versus 65 and stable, that you would treat this way. Like, why not just go to that little extra effort? Is it because they don't know? It's it, Because it's not laziness, right? Like, there's not a CDE standing in front of me that goes, I understand this, I just don't feel like telling it to you. That's not the case, right? 
Right. Uh, in those moments I'm educating, it's like, okay, now we're going to have some rebound hyperglycemia. Are you going to be around when she's 250 after this? Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, I guess, hard to educate everybody unless you're getting them all together. And it's a more formal event. Because just because I tell Mary Sue doesn't mean Mary Beth over here is going to realize it. and She'll do it again the next person that comes across. So so where do you make the line between the people who are never going to get it and the people who don't have the opportunity to get it because nobody will explain it to them? Like I've I've been very clear on the podcast. I don't think that like least common denominator teaching is a good idea. I, I, I don't understand in a classroom of 20 people with two kids who are going to struggle no matter what, three kids who are going to need a lot of extra help, you know, uh, five, 10 kids in the middle who are pretty average and are going to do average. And then there's these five or 10, these five at the top who are getting like, we're ready for like deeper understanding and we never deliver it to them for the fear of leaving the, the bottom five behind. Like, I'm not into that. I, I think you can help everybody. I think there's a way to give the top of the class the information that they can absorb while helping the bottom, you know, who might uh, take it up more slowly or not understand everything that's being said. There's a way to help everybody. But I feel like that everything gets just least common denominator. And that leaves a lot of people in confusion. And the, and the way I see that confusion when I talk to people is that they can imagine there's something else they should be doing, but because the information they're getting is limiting it feels like they're breaking some sort of a rule if they even try to follow their own common sense. I know I'm asking a lot of questions that don't have answers, but I'm interested in what you think. I feel like I need to become an educator next. I need some more education on educating. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes, that's really tricky. Tell me the answer to that. How do you educate everybody that when they're all on a different level? I think you have to be. <clears throat> so my personal experience by talk from talking to people privately is I think you have to be a great HR person. You have to have that like that immediate feel for like the person I'm talking to can take middle ground information. The person I'm talking to can take high end information. The person I can talking to is going to need a little more hand holding. And I make no judgments about any of those people. It's just that they all deserve a different entree into the information. So you, as the person who understands it, need to understand who you're talking to quickly. And you can you can kind of ascertain that by asking some questions, getting a vibe for the response, seeing, you know, where where their level is. Sometimes people's frustration is a great way to measure them. So if they're frustrated that they believe there's more they are more high performers who are looking for better information. And if they're frustrated because everything feels random and it's out of control, then those are people who don't even have the simple tools down, the understanding of uh, having a good basal rate, uh, how to pre-bolus, how to understand the impacts of different foods, like the simple stuff that once you get, creates stability. Once you create stability, things seem less random when they seem less random, you can feel more in control of them, so on and so forth, then it builds. Um, so I think it's up to you to to accurately and kind of quickly figure out who it is you're talking to. 
Yes. And it's, that's easy to do when talking to patients in your one-on-one mm-hmm. for sure. A, a harder to do on a larger scale when you're worried about educating all the nurses on this unit, right? To be able to talk the same way to everybody. Yes. So like in my, in my dream situation around this, I don't know where you work and we're certainly not asking, but I would, I would love to come and talk to the educators and say to them, this is how I've reached people with this information and this, maybe something here would help you. And because that would be amazing. Right. And I think that's a great idea because for whatever reason, there's something about my tone and tenor and vibe that it seems to work across levels. And I think that's where if you're looking for like, like deep down things I'm proud of about the podcast, it's that it's that I didn't have to pick a certain person, a certain type of person go, well, I'm only going to help these people here. Like what I'm going to say is only going to be valuable for these people. Like I wanted to find a way to say it. So it was valuable for everybody. And even the people that you might think of as higher performers in this scenario, they benefit from having basic information that's tangible and easy to digest and understand and put back into practice. It just gives everybody needs yeah. that easy basis to start from. You don't have to start with the big words and, you know, um, like, for instance, this is a great example. You think this podcast is pretty helpful? I can't. Yes. OK, I can't pronounce that word that means a after meal spike. What is it? Post prad post prandial. Yeah, I don't know that word. that's in my basic vocab (laughs) yeah i don't know nor do i care about that word it doesn't matter to me like making things seem fancy or or like they fit in a business setting i don't i don't drew i don't give a shit about that stuff like i think that there's a simple way to understand this and everyone can build on that simple understanding whether you're no matter where you are in that class Nobody has to be left behind in this scenario. Um, and the truth is, is that when you start with a very basic concept that's easy to grasp, the, you know, the, some people just take it and run with it. And some people just come up to speed gently with it. I've seen it happen for everybody. And it's, it's, not, it's not attached to intellect either. Because I've seen nurses have children with diabetes and they can't figure this out. And it's something about the nursing brain I don't understand completely, but there's like, it feels like there's rules and you follow the rules and the rules do the thing. And that's nursing to some level. And then you get into diabetes and you're like, well, sometimes this, sometimes that. Is the 65 stable or is the 65 falling? You have to get into that minutia. And they're like, no, no, 65, this is the rule for 65. And it takes them a while to break free of that, but they do. And so Mm. I don't know that anybody can't do it. It just has to... It has to be delivered in a certain see, I had you on to talk myself into believing that this could be done. And now I just all I did is talk myself into believing that you need an, other avenues to get the information from. Uh, Drew. All right. Let's not talk people out of being CDs. Do you feel like you're helping everyone? <laughs> you feel va- like this is a valuable use of your time and, and you're happy you did this? Yes, definitely. I'm happy. Well, it sounds to me like you're the exact kind of like foot soldier we need to put in these scenarios. Seriously. Like we need more people like you who have a grasp of it and are coming in motivated because you don't see this as a job as it's a calling for you. Is that right? 
Absolutely. Yes. Otherwise I don't know if I could do diabetes 24 seven, but it's, it's my life and passion and it's, it's a good fit. That's I'm glad of that. Do you ever get home and you've talked about it so much in a day that you neglect things at home? Cause you're tired or. Um, yeah, sometimes I get to that point, but I'm blessed with a good husband that is an engineer, even though he didn't know anything about healthcare going into this or let alone diabetes. Um, he loves numbers. He loves figuring things out. He likes research. He likes fighting with insurance companies. So um, he's a good partner in crime. And my son being 13 and lifts his weight as well. So even if I'm exhausted and I take a time out from diabetes for the night, my son's going to be fine. That's cool. That's excellent. I mean, I can't imagine that you could do it 24 hours a day every day. Like at some point you must be like, uh, no one say the word bolus again. I, I'm going to go into another room. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I just, I would, I would definitely imagine you need some time away from it for your own sanity. And, um, I was wondering when you say you give talks and stuff like that, and you talk to other people, when you talk to them afterwards, when you're mingling with people, does it, is it striking them? Like, do you think it's, you think it's landing and they're, and they're holding on to it? And what do you think they take from it? What do you think? I guess my question is a person who's doing the job by the book, who comes in and hears from somebody who's like, no, I really think you got to think about this, this, and this. Do you think that they can go back and put that into practice? Or do you think it just lays on them as like, oh, there's something I should be doing that I don't know how to do? I I think I'm changing the way they practice. What uh, mingling with people or talking with them after I give a talk, the response surprises me that they weren't even aware of what I would consider basic information. So I keep having to go back and think, okay, really start with a good foundation before I try to go into anything more detailed. Mm -hmm. And and do you think that's because I think the one aspect of medicine that, that laymen don't understand is that medicine is basically built on a foundation of, um, well, it might be this. It's most commonly, your problem most commonly might be this. Let's rule that out. Oh, it wasn't that? Well, then it's next most commonly might be this. We'll try to rule that out. Oh, that was it? Great. Answer, you leave. Oh, that wasn't it? Let's go to the the next, the third most less likely thing. And that that's all medicine is really, is ruling out what statistically could be the problem based on your symptoms. And yeah, yeah, right. And I don't know that that's something that people understand. I think people think they go to a doctor and there's an all knowing, all seeing shaman sitting in front of them. And you're like, Hey, here's what's up. My belly button looks like this. And I got a gray hair on my left side and look what my pinky's doing. And that guy goes, Oh, that's this. And this is how that gets fixed. And that is just not how it works. Um, and that model is not intuitive to managing diabetes, but those are the people that you're sent to. And that is the way they're trained. And so you're looking for those people to either flex, figure it out and learn how to talk to you about it. Or you have to come to the, you have to come to the understanding on your own that there's more information out there. I have to go find it for myself. This is a very 
well-meaning person who's going to give me my prescriptions and check my blood work and tell me where my ranges are. Um, and, and I think that even though I might have sounded differently a half an hour ago, I guess that the people, the doctors, the endos who are telling you, hey, this is good information, go find this information, that is really a kindness because maybe maybe you're asking too much for them to fundamentally change how they've been taught and what they do. I guess that might be fair. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. <sighs> it is? All right. Yeah. Drew, what do we do? I make you, I put you in charge. You got a magic wand. You're in charge. What happens? This seems so outside of your personality. Your pregnant pauses are fantastic. <laughs> but, oh, no, I put you, but I put you in charge. What's the first thing you do? I'm in charge where I work. Of the world. Oh, I, You're tra- I put you in charge of the world. You fixed the, the happiness. Oh, yeah, you, I, you fixed all that. Oh, I'm not a leader like that. No, I don't want to be in charge of the world. All right. Well, you fixed the other stuff. You're down to diabetes in a clinical setting. Like, I think I know what my first step is. What's your first step? My foundation would be more time. I think that truly is what limits providers. There's not enough time to sit down with a person and really do the investigation that you were referring to of how did we arrive at this number? How can we fix this? Because that requires time and talking and investigation. So time is the fundamental issue, I think. Even for providers who if they had the time, wouldn't know what to do? Well, my gosh, they should have some education. <laughs> Maybe with time, they'll, 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 they'll have more education and know. I don't know. True, I'm hearing a little Midwestern hope in your voice. Am I right about this? I'm in the South. Oh, okay. That's close enough. You know what I mean? Like that hopefulness that you got to come up to some of my East Coast. Like, there's no way anybody's figuring this out. We got to tell them what to do. <laughs> <laughs> So my first step would be, if you put me in charge, my first step would be, I would I would take a person who could explain it. And I really do mean the basics, the keys to initial success. And I would go to each provider and give them one-on-one attention, give them the same exact talk, and have them mimic it back to me, parrot it back to me. And then they need to sit with a person who understands it watch the advice be given and watch the result happen so that they can believe in it. And then you send them off to try it on their own. And I think then the basis of um, medical school, learn one, do one, teach one. Did I just make something up that I already knew? Learn yes. You, you know how medical school operates now. Oh. Learn one, do one, teach one. That's what you just said. Listen, <sighs> I got to be honest with you. I know that from Grey's Anatomy. But um, that oh. is not where it came from out of my head just now. I just, <laughs> I really thought like, what would I do if I wanted to make a clone? Like if I wanted to, if I wanted to make another me in the world, what would I do? I would assume that the person I'm talking to doesn't believe that what I'm saying is going to work. So I would explain it to them. Then I would show it to them. And then when they could believe in it, I'd like to see them do it once. And then once they get the result back, then it's the same as the person with diabetes. You just need to build up trust in the process. You know, the you need to build up trust in the idea that your basil has to be right. Here's how you can make it right. You have to pre-bolus your meals most of the time. Here's how to know. Uh, 10 carbs of this isn't equal to 10 carbs of that. Don't stare at a high blood sugar. Uh, you know, it really is. I gave a talk the other maybe two weeks ago online for Touch by Type 1. There's like 125 people in there. 
And the responses coming back are over and over and over again, the same from people, which makes me think that the information strikes people similarly. And all these people are sending graphs. They're like, look how much better things got. And I was like, and like, there's the part of me, it's like, yeah, well, you know, we put the insulin in the right place and you're doing what you need to do. And then you get what you expect. And now you're on your way. Um, I think that's the process. I just need anyone listening. I need one hospital to have me come in and talk to everybody. I want to do a pilot program with somebody and prove it out. Anybody. I'll fly anywhere. That would be amazing. Continental United States. I don't want to leave the country. Okay. (laughs) Can you imagine? I'm in like the Czech Republic (laughs) talking through (laughs) through someone who's like, you know, Taking my words and like, all right, here's what he's talking about. I, I, somewhere where people can understand me. I want to try it first. There, no one's going to take me up on it, Cheryl. But why? I'm gonna it, I'm gonna work on this because I don't know how to say post postprandial. <laughs> and I we'll can't, work on it. And I can't You'll remember what a CDE it. turned into. Like, I don't <laughs> seem like the person you would ask. But I feel I feel an immense amount of confidence around it. Like I would I would love to. I would love to do that. I would love to even like, it doesn't have to be everybody in the practice. Like just pick two people and talk to them, get them doing it in a certain way. And then watch over six months, watch a one C's for their patients over six months. Like, I think that would be fascinating. And I, and I wouldn't say anything, you know, crazy. It's not like I'd be like, all right, listen, ground up your cinnamon and then get your um, essential oils diffuser out. It wouldn't be like that. It would just be like, you know, here's where you use the insulin. And I think this will be valuable. And then let people, because the truth is, is that people need to see it so they can believe in it, so they can build on it on their own, which ends up being the real value of it, which is they're at home making decisions that are valuable. Because as diabetes keeps flexing and changing, you have to know how to move with it or it'll just overwhelm you again. I mean, I have a a, a hormonal 16, 17-year-old daughter, and I'm going to tell you that if I could go back and talk to the Scott I was five years ago, I'd be whispering in his ear every day, wait until the hormones come. Like I just, every day I'd be telling that guy that like, don't, don't sleep on those hormones. It's, it's, it, it's going to change everything. And the only thing that keeps Arden's A1C where it is, which is now for seven years in the fives is the ability to stay flexible when the impacts change. So. Absolutely. That yeah. is our life right now. Ethan has grown like six inches in the last year. And so we have fun basal names for our pump. And one of them is growth spurred and we have other stuff. So we're constantly changing between basal rates to keep up with what he's going to do that day. No kidding. No kidding. I don't, I don't, I could never imagine that that's not the truth. I swear to you, it feels sometimes day to day here and you, but, but it's not, I know that might sound crazy to people like, oh, my God, it's going to change every day. I can't do this. But you can if you know how to. If you know how to look up, see what's happening and go, OK, more basal, uh, you know, a little more a little more push on the meal insulin here. Like it's and then you see it go back the other way. You're like, OK, I'll take the basal back to where it needs to be. It's actually not. It's actually very intuitive after a while for me. And it's not that intensive with my time or my thought as I thought it was going to be when it started happening. You just have to learn to see it as another, it's just another variable. It's just one you don't see happen because you don't eat the variable. It comes from inside. Uh, right, Drew, I talked way too much on this one. People are going to bitch at me. I feel it coming. 
I enjoyed talking with you. Did you? Thank you. Tell the people to leave me alone. Oh, no. They're fine. Everyone loves you. <laughs> True. I love you. <laughs> I don't know why you're so nice. If I would have booked my wife on a podcast without telling her, she would have punched me with an ashtray. And we don't even have an ashtray. She would have gone back to 1975, gotten a big glass ashtray, and come back and hit me with it. <laughs> 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 you are sweet. Why are you so nice? Let's Take a want you to come visit me at my hospital. I'm going to work on this. All right. Well, we'll do that. You, if you get it, I'll do it. I'm, I'm up. Okay. Just you know. But w- when we stop recording, you'll tell me where you're at. But, but first, you have okay. to ask me. You have to answer my question. Why are you so nice? I don't know. No, you can't be that <laughs> nice to say I don't know. Isn't it more pleasant to be nice? No, that's not what I mean. Like, are you holding a rage inside that you won't let out? And is that through good grooming? Like, have you were you raised to hold it in or do you not feel the rage? Which is it? That's my first question. Do you hold it in or do you not feel it? Um, if I'm upset, exercise is my outlet. So All right. That's a fair statement. Oh, yeah. well, I'm gonna pick yeah. some more. Um raised to not show anger to people that's fair my mom was always my mom is a very pleasant person it would never be unhappy in public so i think i got some of that but you're not like privately like a raging lunatic like you don't like you won't get off with this and like start kicking your dog or something like that to let it out not that anybody should kick their dog no no okay not at all no so you're not feeling like that burning not at all you're like i definitely would not kick a dog (laughs) so um but but the burning like there's no burning like you're like i'm irritated now like not at you at -hmm. at the world like like these conversations always get me riled up like, and so I get, I get like, uh, like I want to do something about it. Like if you told me right now, Scott, pack a bag and come here, I'm going to let you talk to these people. I just walk downstairs and be like, I got to go. <laughs> like, I don't, awesome. yeah, but, but, but if you got me three days from now and you're like, Hey, that I'd be like, Oh, I don't know. I don't like traveling. I don't really want to do that. <laughs> but right now you've got me and like, I'm actually warmer now than I was when we started this. I, so the first year after Ethan was diagnosed, I felt like I lived with a grudge on my shoulders because when people wouldn't know how to properly treat type ones, Mm -hmm. it upset me and I would be short with them or correct them in a not so great attitude. But I realized that no one's going to come to me asking for better education. I'm not going to impact people if I get, if I live with that and are so sensitive and upset. Because I, I was very sensitive and was easily upsettable for the first year. But now, after that first year, like, people don't know. They're lacking knowledge. And I need to keep a good attitude so they can really hear me and respect me and be able to come to me if they have more questions. You're the right kind of person so. for this message. That's for certain. Anyone listening who finds themselves to be like Drew, first of all, congratulations. Secondly, if you're in a, a position of teaching people with diabetes, I would say this, um, have the nerve to speak up and try to make an impact. Like if you're at a job right now where you're watching something happen and you just know it's not right, but you don't feel like you have a voice there, you know, try, try, try something. 
to to help people because I get to see the other side of it. And when they go home and they leave that practice with no answers, it's a struggle for them 24 hours a day. And it's um, it becomes as impactful emotionally as it is physically. And it's just not needed. It's not fair. And it's, you know, it, it doesn't need to be that way. So if you have the voice, go ahead and speak up uh, like Drew is. And uh, I'm going to keep ranting and raving about it here until 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 I get a doctor that comes on and goes, I just tell people, get your basal right, do this, do that, do this. And I tell them how to do it. And then I'll be like, good, I won. Then I'm going to retire. I'm done with this. Then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Drew, I really appreciate you doing this. Um, you're very kind. Um, if you can hold on for Thank one. Thank you second. for having me on. No, I, it was really my pleasure. I, I, I didn't know how much I was going to enjoy this talk. Like I really, even that is a weirdness about me. Like I'm all agitated, but I really had a good time talking to you. I don't think people think of things like that mostly, but I had a great time, even though I'm, uh, I'm all jacked up. Hey, huge thank you to Drew for coming on the show and sharing her story, answering all my questions. Thanks also to Omnipod, makers of the Omnipod Dash and the Omnipod Promise. Check them out at Omnipod.com forward slash juicebox. You may be eligible for a free 30-day supply of the Omnipod Dash. And the Dexcom G6, let's not forget them. Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Find out the speed and direction that your blood sugar is going. See it right there on your phone if you want, or use their receiver. Don't forget to fill out that survey at t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox. Support people with type 1 diabetes. Support the Juicebox podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back soon with another episode of the Juicebox podcast. Hey, and don't forget to check out the private Facebook page for the podcast. Absolutely free to be in. Uh, 15,000 plus people in it now talking about type 1 diabetes, management of insulin, all kinds of stuff. You'll find it online on the Facebook. It's Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes.